And so Brett uh, has given me the task to deliver God's word this morning, um, to speak on the role of the civil government as ordained by God. Um, as you guys have learned in the past weeks, there are three main spheres of, of governance or areas that God has ordained. Uh, the first would be the church, and we have the family, and then finally, as we look at this morning, is the state. So our subject this morning is the function and duty of the state according to the Bible, and Lord willing, we'll get to how we as Christians are to live under that authority. And so when I say the state, this is a civil authority that God has placed over us uh, in our context here in the country of America. This would be from the federal level down to our local authorities, from the president to your local mayor. These are the civil governments who have authority over us. So when considering what the Bible has to say about government, it's important for us to recognize that God has ordained government for His glory and for our good. First and foremost, saints, I want us to begin with a quick reminder that the government, again, is not the only authority we submit to. As I had mentioned, as you guys have studied in the past few weeks, the church and the family are also authorities. God has ordained the church and the family as authorities in our lives. And with the head of all these things being Christ, our Lord. So as we enter into this study this morning, we do so with the understanding that the state is not the end-all, be-all of authority. And praise be to God to that and for that. And more importantly, I want at the forefront of our minds that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given from King Jesus. So with that, we'll get into our main text for this morning. We'll be in Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 5. Romans 13 has probably been one of the most highly contested sections of Scripture in the past few years. You have differing views from differing pastors. And so my hope and my prayer this morning is that we would examine God's Word and interpret Scripture using Scripture and read what the text is saying and not bring in our political ideologies into the text or not bring, bring in our own desires, but that God's Word would speak to us and that we would receive it. So with that, let us read Romans chapter 13. We're going to look at verses 1 through 5 and then we'll pray. Romans 13, verse 1. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is a servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection not only to God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. This is the reading of God's word. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we come to you thankful this morning 
that you have ordained and instituted governance over us, Lord. We are a sinful and rebellious people, and Lord, we need checks and controls. God, I pray as we study your scripture, Lord, you would uh, help us to understand what the role of the government is, Lord, but also, Lord, that you would tune our hearts to this truth. God, that you would cause us to be a people that pray for those in leadership over us. Lord, that our hearts would be broken for the wickedness and corruption that we might see in our current governing authorities, Lord, and that would cause us to pray for them. Lord, I thank you for these saints for this morning. I pray that you would bless them and edify by the proclamation of your word. To you be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So we begin here in Romans chapter 13, verse 1. And we're going to begin in the second part of verse 1. We'll get back to the first part in our second half of the sermon. The first part we're going to look at is, For there is no authority except from God. No authority except from God. This is the key to understanding the role of government. From this one truth flows all that the government is to do and to be. To recognizing that the authority given has been given from God that there is no authority except that which comes from God from that truth flows all that we are to interpret into this text God has shown his authority over all things since the beginning of time we see all the way back in Genesis his power and authority created the heavens and the earth created the flowers in the field the creatures of the sea and the beasts on the earth. Psalm 115, verse 3 says, But our God is in the heavens. He does whatever He pleases. Our God has no restraint to Him. There's nothing holding Him back. He sits in the heavens and laughs. He sits in the heavens and does whatever He pleases. Isaiah 45, verse 5 says, I am the Lord and there is no other. Besides me, there is no God. There is no other source or origination of authority except from God. Then we have our beloved Great Commission verse where Jesus says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. There is no doubt, beloved, that all authority belongs to God. Christ as he's being tried by Pilate, tells him to his face, you have no power unless it were given to you. All authority is of the Lord. Daniel 2.21 drives this home. says he changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. The Bible, time and time again, saints, makes it abundantly clear that God, by His very nature, is supremely authoritative over all things. This is our starting point. Romans 13.1 There is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Those that exist have been instituted by God. So, all authority is from God. He has 
all authority, all right. He is supreme over all the creation. And in His good will and His good pleasure, He has instituted governments. He has instituted the church. He has given the family. And now we have the civil government as another institution. I want to begin to give this idea or build out this idea of what it looks like when God gives authority. Because there's several examples of Scripture where God is giving authority. And so if you would, turn with me real quick to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. Let's look at some examples of when God begins to give authority. Genesis 1, and we'll look at verse 16. Genesis chapter 1. And God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. So God gives this greater light here in the beginning in creation. And what's, what do we see taking place here? God gives this greater light to rule over the day and this lesser light to rule over the night. From the moment of creation, God is ordaining specific roles and rules of governance to His creation. The sun in the sky rules the day, and the moon rules the night. And they continue on there to verse 17. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. God in His creation of the sun and the moon gave authority to separate the light from the darkness. And He saw that it was good. Now don't get worried. I'm not attempting to attribute some human-like nature to the sun and the moon. I'm not giving them deification what I'm showing is that the example of that God in His creation gives authority. The sun rules the day. The moon rules the night. And they have purpose. And the purpose there is to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. So that is our principle that I want us to really focus on. Is that when God gives authority, it's for a purpose and for His glory. And right from the beginning of creation, He gives authority to the sun and the moon, and it's to separate the light from the darkness. To, to have purpose, to have a, a meaning, and God saw that it was good. God gave rule to the sun and the moon to separate light and darkness. It's interesting, one of the first recorded giving of authority is to separate light and darkness. What we see in John chapter 1 when Jesus is being spoken of, it says the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. So right from the beginning, God is giving authority and the authority is to subdue the darkness. God gives authority and has an immediate purpose. Continue on, Genesis 1, 27-28. God makes Adam and Eve in His own image. And He gives them dominion, or He gives them authority over all the creatures of the earth and all the plants. And we see in the next chapter, God gives 
Adam the right to name all of the creatures. He tells Adam to be fruitful and multiply. And so God is giving authority here to Adam. Take dominion. Look after all of my creatures. Be fruitful. Multiply. Again, we see this authority being given in its immediate purpose. Care after and multiply my creation. So just from these two examples in Genesis, we see this role of authority being formed before us. God has all the authority. He relinquishes it. He gives some to His creation, some to man. And there's purpose behind it. Light is separating darkness. Adam is to be fruitful and multiply, to care for God's creation. Now turn back with me to Romans 13. So I want to see this progression, this idea of when God gives authority, it's for a purpose and for a reason. For there is no authority, Romans 13, verse 1, there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. So God in His good and perfect will has instituted governing authorities. If we had no reference other than Genesis chapter 1, we could glean from God's requirements of what He gives when He gives authority. When God gives authority, darkness has to be separated from light. When God gives His authority, He intends for it to be as a taking care of or a fruitfulness to His creation. Now keep that in mind as we continue on here. Verse 2, Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. Alright, so we have the Apostle here letting us know that, hey, saints, the governing authorities over you were appointed by God. Now that can be a hard pill to swallow. Because we look at our government, whether it's state, local, federal, not many one of us would be like, oh, super stoked that that's my government. But what we must come to remember, dear saints, is that God has appointed them. He sets up kings, He takes down kings. He sets up rulers, He takes down rulers. He sets up presidents, He takes down presidents. He sets up mayors, He takes down mayors. God is sovereign over all these institutions. And for the time being, God has found it good that we should have the governance that we have now. Because it is redeeming, or it is accomplishing that which He has determined for it to accomplish. So Apostle Paul is saying here, these governing authorities are appointed to you by God. God has established them for a purpose to accomplish His will. And so we must pay attention because there is a judgment that can take place upon us. We'll get into a little bit more of that later. But for now, let's continue on to verse 3. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good and you will receive his approval. 
For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. The rulers, the governing authorities over us, are appointed by God to be a terror to bad conduct. You know, as I was studying this section, it reminded me of my life before Christ. And for uh, most of you probably don't know this, but before Christ, I was caught up in addiction quite heavily. Um, I was addicted to heroin and meth and all kinds of terrible drugs and just caught up in that idolatry. And as I was reading this verse that the, the government is a terror to those who do bad, I would think back of all the times that I'd be driving around my vehicle and have all kinds of illicit, illegal items in my vehicle, and that instant terror that would strike when I'd see a cop behind me. How in a moment, it'd be fine and dandy, and then the, you see that cop behind you, and in a second, that terror would hit. That's the governing authorities striking terror in those who would seek to do evil. See, that is the role and the purpose of the government. In an instant, my stomach would drop, my heart would begin to race, because I knew if I got pulled over, there was going to be consequences. There was going to be a punishment. There would probably be jail time. And so God, using the civil governments, struck fear into my heart when I was living in sin, unrepentant sin. The mere presence of God-ordained authority was enough to strike terror into me back then. And we see this now. You see um, any kind of uprising start, as soon as, well, for the most part, but as soon as the police arrive, they usually quell the situation. It usually calms down. The, the, the presence of someone with authority brings peace to the situation. I don't know if any of you are a fan of the show Cops. It used to be a family favorite of mine when I was growing up. We'd watch it time and time again. You see the police being called to a certain person's house and, or to a certain situation. And as soon as they show up, the, the bad guys would start running. They'd start fleeing and taking off in every which direction. Then you'd have the police chase scenes where the cameraman just kind of bounced around chasing the cop, and the cops would catch the person. And nine times out of ten, they'd ask him, why'd you run? And the person would reply, well, I was scared. I was scared. The mere presence of a badge causes criminals to flee. The terror to bad conduct. And so all that to say that God ordains these governing authorities to strike terror into those who would seek to do evil. The state has the authority to seek out the darkness and bring it to the terror of light. The mere presence of someone with a badge is a sobering reminder that there is a law, and to break that law, there is consequences. The state is to be a restrainer of evil. A restrainer of evil. And because it is instituted by God, it's meant to point to something greater. Now we all know the state is not sovereign over all things. The state does not know all injustices. The state does not see into the hearts and minds of all people. The police don't always show up. The courts fail to convict criminals. 
and at other times convict the innocent. But this earthly authority points us to a greater one. It causes our hearts to long for a day when King Jesus will return in his glory and the kingdom will be here on earth. A day when true justice will be established forever and ever. A day when evil will forever be cast out by the light of his glory. But until that day, these institutions, these authorities over us, will be a reminder to us that justice will be had someday. Eternal justice. Now look at the end of verse 3 there. It says, Then do what is good, and you will receive His approval. So again, God has given His authority to these institutions. And what are they to do? They're to drive away darkness, to bring terror to darkness. And now we see they're to promote good. If you do what is good, the governing authorities, the state should approve of you doing good. That's a promoting of doing the right thing. The state has been instituted by God to promote good. The Apostle is laying out for us the role of the government is to create and to promote an environment of those who would seek to do well. 1 Peter 2, verses four, uh, verse 14 says, speaking of the government, he says, they are to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. The state is to promote and praise those who would seek to do what is right before the Lord. And not just promote it, but create a space in which this can be accomplished. And think of it for a moment. If we lived in a world where there was no state governance, we lived in a country where there was no rule of law, and lawlessness was permitted across the lands, Imagine for a moment if this city were ceased to have a police department and laws and rules and judges and courts and chaos and anarchy reigned. There would be no space in which we could desire to do good because evil would be running abound. Evil would be going everywhere. Anarchy does not work. And so state governments and local authorities are to produce and promote a space for us to do good. Look with me there at the beginning of verse 4. For He is God's servant for your good. That is the role of the state as well. They are servant of God for our good. Now, we all know and recognize that we live in a fallen world. But God has blessed us to live where we live today. I know we can get often so caught up in how wicked and evil the governing authorities over us are. We can get so caught up in these wicked rules and these wicked mandates that they release. but look at the country you live in. Though it is wrought with flaws, wrought with wickedness and unjust rulers, 
for the time being, we have the protection under the law to practice our faith. We have the protection under the law to proclaim the gospel in the public squares. We can gather on Sundays without fear of secret police busting through those doors and arresting each and every one of us. By no means am I saying this rule is not flawed and wicked, but I'm saying, saints, we are blessed to have the governing authorities that we have, though as wicked as they are, because they do, in a certain way, promote our good. They do restrain evil to an extent. They're not perfect. But like I said, for the time being, we have these rules and protections for us. And though it is flawed in many ways, the state for now recognizes those laws. The state in this way is promoting good, whether or not it recognizes it. Whether or not it recognizes it as being a servant of God. And to their disapproval, bringing glory to God and His purpose in our good. And so God has given the state authority. They do not openly recognize that or promote that or proclaim that, but God has said that, and that is what we will believe, saints. That is what we will stand on, that His authority has given to them for our good and His glory. Now continue on with me here in verse 4. But if you do wrong... Be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Now we get into our next role, the civil government. To punish evildoers and bear the sword. So we have to strike terror on those who would seek to do wrong, to promote good. And now we get into the next role, which is to punish evildoers, to bear the sword of judgment. This is the one unique authority that is given to the state that we don't see given anywhere else. As a family, as the, uh, in the family we have the father who is able to give discipline. The, the father and mother can discipline their children. In the church we have church discipline. Well now the state has a discipline, but it's a discipline that can bear the sword. Church does not have it. The family does not have that. The state has that. The authority to bear the sword is the authority to end a life. To take a person, to take their life is no small thing as we are fully aware of. The death penalty is probably one of the most highly contested statutes in our legal system. So much so that some states banned it, some states promote it, and some states are indifferent and will allow death row inmates to stay there for 15, 20 years. But we see here that God has granted the state the power to take the life of those who commit evil. And we know, foundationally, God has all authority and power to punish unholiness with force. And you know, this could be one of those subjects, one of those topics that's hard for us as Christians to wrestle with. 
that someone could be punished with death. I mean, we as Christians value life so much. We understand the Imago Dei, that all of us are created in the image of God. And so to see someone put to death kind of is something for us to have to wrestle with. You know, and, and I think that's important that we wrestle. Because I would never want us to just be, oh, let's send them to the chambers. Send them to the gallows. But God, in His authority and power, can punish sinners. We know each one of us stand here by the mercy and grace of God forgiven by what Christ had to endure on our behalf. And so we understand that sin must be punished. And at times, God uses the state to punish sinners with death. What are the wages of sins, saints? Death. So that is how we wrestle through this. This is not an easy thing, but again, this is how we wrestle with it. God says that sin must be punished, and at times, the state is given the role to carry the sword against those who would seek to do evil. And so we reconcile this with the fact and the truth that God is holy and perfect. He is the Creator and He has every right over His creation to punish and destroy unholiness. Look back to our beginnings in the Garden of Eden. In Genesis, God tells Adam, do not eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For surely, if you eat of it, you will die. Now as no Adam and Eve, they both ate of that tree. And what takes place afterwards, sin enters the world. They are cursed. They are banished from the garden. And eventually they die. God has authority. And He has given His law word. He has spoken and said, sin will be punished. Here's the result or the 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 uh, the end result of your sin is death. Adam and Eve, they bite of that fruit. God curses them and banishes from the garden. And we also see something else interesting taking place in Genesis 3. The very end, verse 24, it says, He drove out the man, and at the east of the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Right there in Genesis chapter 3, God sends an angel to guard Eden, and He sends this angel with a sword. A governing body with a sword in Genesis chapter 3 to make sure Adam and Eve do not enter again into the Garden of Eden. So here is the first recorded instance of God granting the right to carry the sword to carry out justice. Just a few chapters later in Genesis 9, we see this institution then being given to man. As God is making His covenant with Noah after the flood, He tells Noah, whoever sheds the blood of man by man shall his blood be shed, for God made man in His own image. And so thus we have the institution of corporal punishment or of the state bearing the sword. Genesis chapter 9. Thus the power of the sword is given to governing authorities to punish 
the crime of murder with the punishment of execution. God has created us in his image and to murder an image bearer of God is to destroy that which he has created. The ability of the state to bear the sword of judgment as a means to restraining evil. How often do you think a crime of murder is not followed through with because the fear of the death penalty looms over in the mind of that person? And we understand most certainly, saints, that God is sovereign over all things. Nothing happens that he did not first ordain to come to pass, but God has used, or God uses means to see his will be done. The means of civil government, the means of this sword-bearing government is what he uses to restrain evil. The state is one of those means. And so, how do we put all of this into one concise statement? What is the role of the state? I think the 1689 does a wonderful job at this in chapter 24. It says, God, the supreme Lord and King of all the world, has ordained civil magistrates to be under him over the people for his own glory and the public good. And to this end has armed them with the power of the sword for defense and encouragement of them that do good and for the punishment of evildoers. The role of the civil government saints is to promote good, punish evil, and to create an environment in which we can grow. So that's the role. How then do we as Christians live under this authority? Because again, I know we're all here this morning. We've all wrestled with the injustice that we've seen in the civil government over us. So we must listen to what God's word has said. Back to verse 1. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. We are to submit ourselves humbly to the state. Now we're going to add an asterisk there because this is by no means a blind submission or a full-on submission to all that the state would ask us, but insofar as it is obeying God, we submit to it. So we get straight to the point. When do we submit to this governing authority? Look at verse 3. Rulers are not a terror for good conduct, but to bad. When the state is fulfilling the God-given role of punishing evil and promoting good, we submit to its authority. When the state is acting in accordance with God's law, we submit to them. We desire to be peaceful and productive members of society. We recognize that God has given the state authority to keep the peace He's given them authority to restrain evil. And so I'd ask us this morning, I know this has been a heavy conviction for me, when was the last time you thanked God for the government that's over you? Kind of a water and oil statement. Thank God for the government that's over me. Well, I think in that statement what I'm saying is to recognize the goodness in the flaws of the government that's over us, of the authority that's over us. To see God's authority in the areas over us and to see the difference between God's authority 
and sinful man's authority. Because that is the separation for us saints when we obey and disobey. We obey when we recognize it is God's authority through the state, and we disobey when we recognize it is sinful man's authority through the wicked powers of the state. That is the dividing line for us. Obedience to God, submission to the state. But for us this morning, I also want us to recognize the grace that has been given to us. Like I mentioned earlier, we have the freedom to meet here on Sundays. We can have this building, this place to gather. We have freedom to preach in the public sphere. Though we may get in trouble for using amplification, we still have the right to speak freely. That right is still there. We're not being troubled or arrested for speaking. These are the areas where an institution run by sinners is carrying out the role that God has ordained for them. I believe the key for understanding this section as a Christian is to go back one chapter to verse 18. Chapter 12, verse 18. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. This truly, saints, is to be our heart towards all people and towards the state. The desire to live peaceably as often as we can make it happen. Romans 13, 3, the end of the verse says, Do what is good. How do we live under the authority of the state? Saints, we do what is good. We love God and we love our neighbor. The greatest commandment, which is all of the law is summed up. Love God and love your neighbor. That's how we submit humbly to the state. And when we have sought to live peaceably, there may come a time when we are to disobey. When we are to say to the state, no, you've gone too far, I will not submit. Whenever the government forbids us to do something the Lord commands us or commands us to do something the Lord forbids, we say, no, I will not submit. I will not acknowledge your authority in that area. What's important for us to recognize is Romans 13 describes the government's responsibility as punishing evildoers, guarding life and property. What it does not say is to Go into the sphere of the church or go into the sphere of your family. Again, we're going back to these three main governing bodies instituted by God, each one in their own area. Some overlap, but there's never to be a full intrusion. And so when we disobey is when the government makes a full intrusion into the sphere of the church or the sphere of your family. The state, the church, and the family all function in their own ways with their own purposes all ordained by God. And so, when we disobey government, we must first recognize when the government has crossed the line of their ordained duties. I think we have plenty of examples in the past few years of this. We're in a moment right now where it seems to be kind of Beginning to back off a little bit, but I know we're all kind of weary because we're waiting for that 
next variant or the next thing to give us overstep, or maybe it's World War III, who knows? The next thing seems to be around the corner, but let's for now use the examples of this past couple of years. We saw the government in these past few years try and push its authority into spheres it has no authority in, that being the church in your home. They try to decree how we should gather here on Sunday. They tried to tell us how many people we could have gathering here on Sunday. They tried to say how many people we could have in our household. They told us how many people and who could come to our household. They even went so far as to say who was and wasn't an essential worker. Saints, I have a message for you this morning. If your job provides for your family, you are an essential worker. The government has no right to tell you you cannot work. That is an area where we disobey. The church tries to tell us we cannot worship. We say to the state, no, I will worship my God, for he is worthy. And what we understand, saints, is God is not silent in how the government is supposed to run. We just looked at some verses in Romans 13. And I think it's interesting that Brett opened this morning with Psalm 2 because that's here in the notes. This is how the government should recognize King Jesus. Psalm 2, verses 10 through 12. Now, therefore, kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all those who take refuge in him. This is a direct warning to the rulers of the earth. Be wise, be warned, serve the Lord with fear. And with that, I want us to recognize, saints, there is an important role for us. We don't just disobey for disobedience's sake. We disobey to obey God. But part of our our disobedience is to love our neighbor, and the state is our neighbor. If we're going to love the state, we must warn them that what they're doing is disobedience to God. Psalm 2 gives a warning to the kings, Be wise, O kings, lest you perish. So we don't just flippantly disobey the state. In any way that we can, we warn them. That if they continue on their way, they will perish. They must kiss the sun. Our civil disobedience is submission to Christ and is to be done so civilly, recognizing the vengeance belongs to the Lord. So when we civilly disobey, it should be with love in our hearts towards the state, desiring that they would repent. So living under the authority of civil government. We do submit to the government authorities over us in society, and we should bend over backwards to be model citizens in our communities. But we also realize the government has no authority over the church. It does not have the God-given right to control or decide how we do our service. It does not have the God-given right how we are to structure our family. Christ is the head of the church, not Caesar. Jesus is Lord over all governments and rulers. He is Lord now and forever. His reign and dominion are now and forever. Christ is king now and he is the head of the church. He is the ruler of the earth now. Be wise, O kings and rulers. Our sovereign is in the heavens and he does as he pleases. Kiss the sun lest you perish. So when the government says 
you must worship this way. Or you cannot take the Lord's Supper or you cannot sing. We church will say, no. We will obey God rather than man. Our response, humbly and respectfully, no. Christ is King. He is the head of the church. And I take my orders from Him. We appeal to the Word of God that tells us how the church is to function. So how we deal and live under civil authority as we submit as so far as they are submitting to God. So I want to close with a couple of verses from 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Because, dear saints, I hope this is our heart towards the, goal, or the government over us. 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 2, it says, First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Tell us, proclaim this right now. If we're not praying for and interceding on behalf of the rulers over us, then we've missed the point. We've completely missed what it means to live peaceably with all men. You know, for me personally, this one hits hard. Conviction time. When was the last time you prayed over our governor? When was the last time you prayed for our president? When was the last time you prayed for those who disagree with you? Jesus taught us to pray for our enemies. To pray for those who are in authority over you. First Timothy there, urged that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions. Pray for kings and those in high positions. In order that what? What's the... What takes place afterwards? Okay, we got God tells us pray for these people, and what's the result of that? That we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. That's how we submit to the authorities over us. We pray for them, we obey them as so far as they are obeying God, and we disobey when they tell us to disobey God. If we're going to live civilly, we better start bathing those in high positions in prayer and intercession. Giving thanks to God for the freedoms that we have and praying that God would cause them to be born again. This is the heart that goes from fleshly anger to grace-filled humility in light of civil oppression. Always, always remember, saints, you too were once dead in your sins and trespasses and followed the prince of the power of the air, but God and His grace has saved you. So in conclusion, God has ordained civil government for His glory, and we are to submit to that authority whenever they are found in submission to God. Live peaceably with all men. Let us pray.